Welcome back to Common Fan Commentary. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined by a very special guest today. We're bringing back Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? Honestly, uh, doing great. Uh, it's a, I always get really excited when we get to uh, big sports weekends throughout the year, and the pack is in the playoffs, and so I'm really excited for the NFL. Sports in general, I guess. NBA is back going. A lot of MLB trades, so lots to talk about today, Adam. If baseball was going on right now, it would just be the perfect mix, but... You know, hot stove kind of gets me going too. At least we have that to follow. We've seen a lot of blockbuster trades so far in this offseason. The team that we have to mention is San Diego. They seem to be going in all in on this playoff push in their current core with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. Then they come out in this, free, in this offseason window and then they trade for former Cy Young, Blake Snell from the Tampa Bay Rays. And then another, he finished second in Cy Young last year in U Darvish. So let's talk about San Diego. And I think that was, that's the right move right now. I mean, that's kind of what's, I feel like San Diego's been preparing for this. Uh, they've, they've wanted to build and they've had the right trajectory for a long time. So it's nice to see them finally start to move in the right direction 100%. I think, I think it's really exciting. U Darvish, I wasn't, I mean... I'm a huge Cubs guy, so like I got to watch a lot of you Darvish last year, and uh, I mean he he had a renaissance for his career. I mean it was uh, kind of unlike what I'd seen before. And then I honestly I, I saw something this morning on uh, three exciting rookies and kind of who would rather have who at, from uh, MLB GMs and it included Tatis, Acuna, and Juan Soto, and it was pretty unanimous to see how much more preferred. Fernando Tatis is over those two folks or over those two guys. Padres are a really exciting team, and I, I hope they do something this year because I'd love to see the Dodgers not come out and just kind of wipe the floor with the West. Yeah, I mean, the last time we saw the Padres hitting the playoffs this hard was back in when they were squeaking in the wild card at like 91 and 71. You Darvish, he definitely saw that renaissance. I think. Honestly, it was because of that shortened season. That shortened season gave a lot of guys who maybe wouldn't last in a 162-game season. You're only seeing certain opponents a certain amount of times in, in that full season. And then truncate that, then you might have some more success than you usually do. Just because you get several less looks than you normally would. Right. What you said about Tatis over Acuna and Soto, that's a good question. I think most people would say that because shortstops that can hit on an MVP caliber level... Yeah is yeah. such a commodity. Like, that's why the Astros would rather have Carlos Correa than George Springer. Right. It, it's a lot easier to find a really solid hitting outfielder anywhere on the free market or trading. It, it's a lot easier to acquire right. a, a, a right. good hitting outfielder. If you have someone like Tatis, who will probably be in MVP conversations, such an asset for your team. Hitting shortstops are super relevant. They... Are a little bit harder to come by especially like very very dominant hitting shortstops and it makes me really just wonder why the indians traded francisco lindor so that that's something i've been waiting to talk to you about too is like man francisco lindor is one of the best i mean there's debates and i i love him to death i love javi baez but man francisco lindor i mean talk about having the total package on defense just absolutely incredible and then being able to hit for power from both sides of the plate also. I mean, he's a switch hitter. So I just, uh, I was super happy for the Mets, actually. Exciting to see that. What do you think of that one? I think that was just a really unfortunate circumstance for Cleveland to be in. I mean, they were offering him more than the Mets would probably offer him. 
I mean, they they were they're offering him the key to the city, and I still think he would have said no. So, I think Lindor he he just had to be moved, and that drives your when you a player wants out, that drives down his value. So the fact that he wanted out, it was his last year of his contract. This is his last year of arbitration. Then. I mean, they just had to pull the trigger, make a move. They need a hit rebuild. When Corey Kluber was on the decline, and right. I mean, they kind of had an aging core, and now they had Jose Ramirez stumble a little. Now it's just like, you, now you got to hit the reset button. Um, you got to acquire some more prospects, see if you can get someone that called up that Hill star. I mean, they did offload another aging veteran from that World Series core that they had, um, and Carlos right. Carrasco, too. I mean, he's like 34 now, so... Um, I think honestly, it wasn't bad. It wasn't the worst trade from Cleveland. Um, it's just unfortunate they had to get rid of like their superstar, who's like face of the franchise level, for only some nickels on the dollar. So, uh, right. right. I mean, they did get Ahmed Rosario to play shortstop for Lind. That's an immediate replacement. That's, and that's not a bad. Yeah, that, that's not a bad deal either. Because not awful. Ahmed Rosario. I mean, he he can. We've seen bright spots over the last two years with, especially the base paths. I mean, he kind of adds a little bit extra in that regard. Because I think Lindor, we've kind of seen that decline over the last three or four years. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just he doesn't have the same necessarily the same pop out of the bat. But I think defensively, he's an okay replacement. I mean, he he was a part of that team that saw like I think two years ago the Mets had one of the worst defensive teams in baseball and he was very much a part of that so I think they'll miss it on that end a little bit but uh I'm at Rosario he's a good player I think it, you're right though I mean the biggest thing was Cleveland needed a little bit of a rebuild and here we are so. yeah I mean you just got to go out with the old and with the new and yeah. it's just unfortunate that Lindor is still young and in his about to hit his prime at such a such a position that does not hit well. The circling back to the Padres, though, you said you mentioned you were a Cubs fan. So, what what did you think of the, losing not only you Darvish but Victor Caratini for you know a third, fourth starter Zach Davies and a bunch of prospects? What what did you make of that Chicago deal? Well, Zach Davies, I actually don't mind him that much. He's a young guy. His his uh, I watched him a lot when he played for the Brewers, and he. He really, he has a lot of good qualities about his pitching. It's just, I think uh, he, from time to time, he struggled to really put it together. Like, just find it all. I think we, we made the most of Darvish, you know, because I, I don't think that his last season is 100% repeatable. I think he could have another good showing this year. A three ERA kind of guy, but you're talking, you know, as far as sub three as he was last year, low two ERA, you know, high strikeout numbers. I just, I felt like last year was kind of a, all the stars lined up for him. You know, everything was kind of going his way and which was a bright spot on a really, really bad Cubs starting rotation. And so I think that it's tough to lose him, but at the same time, I think the Cubs are in a lot of the same position that we just need to rebuild. Last year, you're talking about hiring a new coach and David Ross, someone who's never even coached before, Theo Epstein leaving this offseason now to go join the uh, MLB front office. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of turmoil in that regard. And so the Cubs are doing the same thing. You know, it's time to rebuild. We, we also lost uh, Kyle Schwarber. He went to go play in Washington, which, you know, if you like that team, I think that's really exciting stuff because Schwarber's really come, come around. His defense is something that has picked up and so i think the padres definitely made the right choice grabbing another arm but you know the cubs similar situation 
it's time to hit that rebuild. Darvish is a lot of money, and he still has a few more years on his contract. Like he's twenty-two mil next year, and then right. he's got another twenty mil after that, and another twenty mil after that. So for someone who's thirty-four and coming off a kind of a miracle season, like right. all the stars really did just come to line. Like he just got healthy. They had a shortened season, and the Cubs really needed a lean on Darvish because the rest of their bullpen was kind of atrocious. So for the Cubs, are they in full rebuild mode? I mean, we've seen Chris Bryant on the trade block. We've seen Javi Baez on the trade block. They have contracts that are coming up, and Chris Bryant's still trying to make that argument of against the Cubs for the playing time manipulation when he was a rookie. Um, and if you don't know, what happened was baseball's kind of a little gross that way where teams can hold on to you for a long time a few years into your major league contract you get your arbitration eligible and you, you're not allowed to hit the free market until you're like 27 28 years old so with Chris Bryant when he got called up as a rookie they waited to call him up until a certain time until he would qualify they for an, they another year yeah contract. basically yeah. they made it so that he would have one extra year of arbitration by waiting 30 games when everyone knew they were going to call him up. Yeah. So he's still trying to debate that. So what what do you think about all your stars on, on the trade block right now coming off of pretty rough seasons? Is it full rebuild mode or is it going to be a soft one? Uh, I mean, I think you can go soft rebuild personally because I don't think the NL Central is like a premier division like it was three years ago or four years ago. You know, at about the time the Cubs were winning the World Series, the, the Brewers were starting to look uh, somewhat of a good baseball team. The Cardinals year in, year out are always pretty good. We are in full rebuild mode. Chris Bryant, I, I've lost faith in him. I mean, last year I get we had a little bit of a shortened season, but, you know, a lot of the star players on that team, Bryant, Rizzo, Schwarber, even Baez, just such a poor showing at the plate. Had a horrible showing at the plate and so it's tough to sit here and say we're not in full rebuild mode because even though we have these guys i think they're enough to be elite in the nl i mean that the dodgers have compiled a very very good lineup and then in our division you know the cardinals are the cardinals and i think that every year someone else gets a little bit more exciting the reds got exciting last year you know and it's tough to see we'll see what the cubs do uh I've been against a lot of the moves made in the last probably two years. I, I didn't think David Ross was ready to be a, a full-time oh, no. MLB manager. I think it was a mistake, kind of letting Theo walk and can't really control. And so hopefully we can get something for Chris Bryant. I wish we would have traded him three years ago uh, when we were talking to the Rockies about a package for Nolan Arenado. That's know, an expensive package, sir. It, it was, it was, you know, it involved us giving away much more than just Chris Bryant, you know, they they were talking like a Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras type deal, you know, we were giving away a premier third base catcher and then some prospects. And so it was an expensive package, but at the same time, like that's a true separation gap in the NL. You want to look good versus great conversation because Nolan Arenado is arguably the best third baseman in baseball. That's a fair statement. You know, you want to you want to talk about a guy who you know what you're going to get from every year. 298 to 320 batting average, 35 plus home runs, 100 plus, 110 plus RBIs. Like you know what you're going to get from him. I think some of that is boosted by being in Colorado. I think that's a very hitter-friendly park, and he plays half his games there. So, I, I mean, he still is one of the best. I think with some players that's true, uh, but 
he, in my mind, is a lot like Nolan Arena, or uh, excuse me, DJ LeMahieu, longtime teammate of his. Which I think that you know, because you could tell when when your stats are absolutely just boosted, you're you're gonna see more home runs. But I still think you know the average doesn't get boosted a whole whole lot. And I thought DJ LeMahieu was a great hitter, and when he left for New York uh, two years ago, you know, I told one of my best friends, I was like, that's huge because. He's going to be able to hit in New York. And I, I think it's the same with Nolan Arenado. Like, where he goes, okay, you might see, like, a small downtick in home runs, maybe, like, five less per year. But he's such a good hitter that I, I think that everywhere he goes – because if you look at how he really places the ball, the doubles, the triples, they're still there. I think playing in Colorado is nice, but he's one of those players that I would take him in any ballpark any day. I don't know if I would for $35 million a year, though. <laughs> We're, we've been talking about the Padres trade the whole time. Let's talk about the, a team that's been going through a very interesting offseason, and that's the team that made the World Series but lost, the Tampa Bay Rays. They look like they're in rebuild mode all of a sudden. They're offloading guys who got them to the World Series. I mean, they let Charlie Morton go. They traded Drew Smiley, traded Blake Snell. That's three starters out of their rotation right there. I feel like it's worth mentioning of what the Rays are doing, and they, they seem to be the most active on the trade market right now as well. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell you. I think Blake Snell, uh, while he has some minor control issues, I think he's such a good pitcher. He always brings speed. He... Uh... He's got real good strikeout stuff, great breaking ball. And so, like, I, I don't know what their deal is because I thought maybe it might be more of, like, a an influenced locker room deal because, you know, I could see his presence on social media, his – he kind of has an ego too. You know, I listened to him a lot during lockdown because I feel like he was streaming a lot of video games, doing things here and there. So I heard a lot about Blake Snell, and I heard a lot from Blake Snell, and he's kind of a – he's kind of an arrogant guy. So I wonder if that, you know, had to do anything with presence in the locker room or anything like that, not just – okay, let's see what we can get for him. He is at a really good age and a really good time in his career. And so I think it begs two questions. One, was he a locker room issue? Or two, did the Rays know that last year's success was somewhat of a fluke and they know they can leverage and make the most for their franchise? Because do I think the Rays are going to be a perennial power? Not really. I mean, because if you look at the last time they went in World Series with Joe Madden, Back in 2008, <laughs> Throwback I want to say. To BJ yeah. Upton. Oh, Evan Longoria. It was a phenomenal, it was a great little team, but look what they did afterwards. Once again, they, they kind of sold everyone. So it kind of feels reminiscent of that. You know, you make it to a big stage and then, okay, well, let's rebuild for another eight years, you know, one out of every eight years or so. So I don't know, man, it's it's tough to say, but I hope I hope they made the right choices based upon whatever, you know, however they're making them. I thought it was really interesting, though, because they do have a very smart front office. I will give them that they have a very great analytics department, and they yeah. they have one of the largest analytics departments in the all of MLB. They're very much the modern-day money ball. So I think this is mostly they just sell high. Yeah. Snell, Snell just pitched in the World Series? Great. Who wants them? Yeah. Oh, we get some prospects out of that? Great. So it's just like – it's just even tougher to be a Rays fan now because you just had a ton of success and now you're going to sell the farm to move to another one. It's just a constant cycle of you're going to have that success and then they're not content with being second place, so sell everything. 
And being such a small market team means they don't get to bring in, you know, they can't make the trades for you, Darvish, and sustain that for a long time. Because if they don't right. have that immediate, immediate success from someone who costs a lot, then, I mean, we even saw Blake Snow, he kind of dipped in production in the regular season. I mean, we didn't right. really see his Cy Young stuff until he got to postseason. So it's kind of like, well, maybe the Rays, maybe they're trying to play two moves ahead. Right, they're trying to play chess when everyone's playing checkers. But yeah, at some point, if someone has a successful season, it feels like they're being sold immediately. And I don't know if it's like it feels a little too knee jerk. Like they got rid of Jose Alvarado after a solid season, and they just get a, a minor league first baseman with a player to be named later. A lot of it for me feels very rushed. Oh, they had a good season. Sweet, we're sending him somewhere. Don't you want them to like kind of have a core of your team? The Rays, I feel like their core changes every single year. I agree. They've only made the World Series once in the past, how, 2007? I mean, yeah, since 2007. I think it's 2007-8. They, I mean, they made the World Series 15, twice. Yeah, 15 years, basically, once every 15 years. Which, But that's what I'm saying. For a program like Tampa Bay, I mean, they're not the Boston Red Sox. They're right. not They're not the Yankees, you know, coming out of that division, perennial powerhouses. One out of every 15 years is probably worth it to a front office, too, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, it's, it's a sell-high thing. And and I say hopefully they make the right they made the right decision because the Boston Red Sox are, aren't great right now. I'm you loving know, the it. Yankees. Oh, same. <laughs> the Yankees are good. I, I would say good. And so it's like there's a real opportunity here, and the, and the Blue Jays are young, you know. So there's a real opportunity here to kind of stay at the top of that division. So hopefully it's the right choice for them. But they had an opportunity to continue to kind of ride this out towards the top of the division that being said um, with all this trade talk I want to put out there what my favorite trade so far has been and it's my favorite because it, it was the best deal and it makes them look like geniuses and that's the Nationals they got Josh Bell from the Pittsburgh Pirates for nothing yeah. for two pitchers that will maybe see the major leagues and maybe. he's he was an all-star two years ago the gala gap power First baseman, they need that. They needed that position, and they yep. filled it with someone who just made the All Star team. Why can't every trade be that one sided? For <laughs> like, how, right. as a Pirates, it almost seems not worth it to make that trade. Like, you're not sign- re-signing Josh Bell because he probably wants to go to someone who's winning and a contender. So if he is leaving anyways, wouldn't you want a return that's a little bit greater than a couple arms? For me, that's my favorite trade because it's so one sided, fills the need. And they get a solid talent who had kind of a okay year last year. But I'd take this past year with a grain of salt because of the short right. season. If you get in a slump in a 60-game season, you're probably not going to break it by the end of the season. So right. over 162 games, it's a little bit different. you got time to figure it out, make some tweaks. It's funny because the first time I got the chance to come on this show, I got to talk about how bad of a front office Barcelona was. I think that the Pirates have they need to take note basically because they you go look at Garrett Cole trading him a few years back received a package for it I think that they they know what they're doing and in a sense of like they're not a premier team once again in uh in the central you know year in and year out they're just not and with Cincinnati on the rise the Cardinals doing well and you know the Cubs being dominant ish over the last few years why not you know take get the most out of this return because I mean, Josh Bell's a phenomenal player. Maybe they didn't get the most out of the return, but I will say it was a good time to trade him. 
I think you're right. As far as being, you know, a real tone setter, the Nationals really replaced a lot of bats and made a lot of a lot of good maneuvers this offseason. Especially if you consider, you know, they still got young guys, a lot of speed guys too in the outfield that are really really looking to come on and you put a lot of these big bats behind them. The the Nationals look like they're prepping up to be another prepping up for another dominant year. I mean, cuz you still have that great pitching staff as well. So if they can stay healthy, I think that this national team's definitely rebounds from what they did last year. I agree. Well, let's switch gears a little bit, man. I I, uh, I want to talk about the NFL a little bit. Absolutely. I'm really excited. We've got the playoffs. I mean, we we got past the wild card round, and the wild card round really just kind of can be really fun sometimes, and can also be somewhat monotonous i think sometimes just because of the the skill gap like with the winner coming out of the nfc east which was really bad you know the with uh, doug peterson gap, throwing that game for the for the washington football team absolutely embarrassing <laughs> i'm glad they fi- did they fired him right yep they did all this nfl talk one team in particular that i want to look at like really go in on um is the pittsburgh steelers the reason being <laughs> is i'm not a fan of teams that talk trash and can't back it up that's oh, yeah. that's my number one peeve, is if you talk trash, you better show up. And this was the worst 11-0 team I've ever seen. For some reason, I feel like they didn't know that. They didn't know their shortcomings. What happens when they show up against the Browns who have a chip on their shoulder ready for something to prove? They get smacked. And right. I don't think anyone was actually that surprised. For a team that, uh, no. that won their division pretty handily just based on the the 11 and 0 start that they went on. The Steelers have a solid defense too. I don't think anybody likes someone who talks smack and can't back it up. And that's what just Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, Ben Roethlisberger, those guys, you know, doing everything with their mouths and not not showing up on the football field. And I got to say that that's what grinds my gears. I couldn't agree more. I mean, but I was super happy cuz like you, I think I also do not like sort of that talk first play later mentality and like uh you know i think it's a little bit ridiculous juju i i felt like i've been trying to be more lenient with it and letting professional athletes because at the end of the day they're not just athletes they got other thing to do but man like if i'm mike tomlin like and i feel like this isn't the first time we've talked about uh issues with just players being extra Mm -hmm. you know in the in the nfl from the steelers you can go back, look at A.B. and look at, you know, Jerome Bettis on his way out coming out of Pittsburgh, having problems in the locker room. Like, I just feel like this is a place where the locker room is never under control. And, uh, you know, so Juju, I, I'm not a huge fan of his. I, a, I used to be. I used to be. Back when he was a rookie. He, I think he honestly just replaced Antonio Brown. as Yeah. Like, he's becoming more like him as the seasons progress where he's just doing everything for clout and he's dancing on other teams logos because of TikTok. He's doing that just just for that. Like all that does is rile the other team up and give them extra incentive to beat your team. So, and you're just doing it for more views on TikTok. Like what? Right. Why? <laughs> if you get any competitive advantage taken away from you, then why would you do it for TikTok views? I think honestly he's just he's just being fueled by the clout and that's it's starting to show and yeah. especially I, I think that's starting to bleed over in their locker room too with uh, Chase Claypool 
with all the comments he's made about, oh, well, the Browns are going to get smacked in the next round. It's like, well, they smacked you, dude. Shut up. Right. Also with Juju, he's talking about, oh, the Browns is the Browns before before their game. The Browns is the Browns, dude. You just you just got the floor wiped with you. Like it's embarrassing. You don't give these teams extra incentive because you have this ego that you need to fuel. It is a very Pittsburgh problem. They're very much yeah. into their own game, very much into show that swagger, go like fuel it, and sometimes it works. I think this isn't the team that is going to get away with that. Like the Los Angeles Rams when they went to the Super Bowl, they were very good about that as well, and right that worked for them. But this team can't can't put this. Yeah, they can't put their money where their mouth is. So, yeah, that's what you get. Yeah, I was glad. I was glad to see him lose. And you know, honestly, like the storyline that I was also really thankful for was watching Baker Mayfield. He has just been just heavily criticized his entire entire career. You know, whether it was being compared to Johnny Manziel, who ultimately was a failure at the beginning, whether it's uh, the clickbait statements from Colin Coward talking about how Baker Mayfield will never work in the NFL. Now we're seeing him win a playoff game, and they've got a pretty pretty exciting team. I mean, Kareem Hunt is that guy right now, uh, along with Nick Chubb. I mean, that's that's the best backfield in the NFL, I think. Absolutely. And then, like, you know, you, you, you've got enough on the outside to be good. You've got Jarvis and... Uh, Peoples-Jones and Richard Higgins. Hey, it's fun to see kind of that goal start to plan out because, you know, a few years ago when they're drafting Miles or Miles Garrett high up there, you know, they wanted to build that defense. They wanted to build the run game. And sure enough, like, they got it done. And How can you not like these Browns? Like, they've been terrible for so long, for so long. And they've always right. had the bigger brother, Pittsburgh Steelers, picking on them. Year after year, they finally have a team like they had the talent a couple years ago, but they didn't have the coaching. So they got the coaching and then now it's all coming together and it, they're, they're a fun team to watch. I mean, they got one of the best ground games in the entire NFL. Baker is hit or miss, but they have that big playability from him. Um, he can do stuff with his feet if he needs to. I want him to be put in a crunch time scenario where he has to be captain clutch. I just want to see if he can do that. He deserves some respect now. Like, after this year, this shows, I don't deserve that criticism. Right. My challenge to him, though, now is, can he show up in those clutch scenarios? When it's win or go home, what is this team going to do? Because they they have a legacy of failure that they need to absolve. And, of course, they get the worst matchup of all time, which is going up against the the reigning Super Bowl champs, um, which is a little unfortunate. They're, they're an interesting team to watch, for sure. I mean, they got so many storylines going on there. And, you know, you're good for the Browns for finally finally giving the Steelers what they deserve. Um, I've got high hopes. High, high hopes for them. Switching to NBA now. Big trade. I can't believe we recorded, like, two days before this happened, too, when we literally talked about the Nets. But James yeah. Harden going off to the Nets in this insane mega deal that sees four first round picks sent to the Rockets. It involved four teams, uh, two separate trades. We saw Victor Oladipo ending up with the Rockets, James Harden to the Nets, Cleveland got snuck in Jared Allen uh, and Torian Prince. Karis LeVert gets sent to Indiana. So, wow, 
what a trade um, to make a oh, absolutely no joke, man. Big three now in Brooklyn. How do you feel? Like, how do you really feel about this? I'm not a fan. I, I'm not either. It's really when the super team era was big. Uh, I right. felt like when it was like LeBron going to join it, going to Miami and joining Chris Bosh there with Dwayne Wade, there was like so much like, oh, this team's going to be a dynasty. This does not feel the same way. This just no. feels like, you know, if you sit and whine about it, tell everyone how much you hate being where you are, then you can get what you want and force it move to a, a winning team. And, I mean, we see the Rockets experiment of all offense, no defense. You know, <laughs> three is greater than two. The Mike D- D'Antoni experience, that failed. I mean, over his tenure, they won one or two playoff series. So they obviously weren't built to last. So got rid of D'Antoni, got rid of the GM. Now Harden's just the last piece from that. Um, right. And then so he just doesn't want to be there. So he just, you know, doesn't show up for work for a couple of weeks. And then he plays a little bit, and he's like, eh, I don't like the team. And it's like, well, you still, you still got some good pieces. Like, yeah, you traded Westbrook, but honestly, Westbrook was holding the team back a little. So, you know, John right. Wall's a good piece. You got DeMarcus Cousins there now. So you got a few good pieces, and then Harden's just like, nope, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to join. It, it, this whole trade just, like, normally it would be like, whoa, but this one just kind of feels like, Nah, it, yeah, no, it I happened. Agree. Like, oh, great. Like, because honestly, I just don't believe that. I don't believe it's they're going to be that great. I mean, this team I, will not I play think, defense. No, and, I, they lose Jared uh, Allen for some reason, and yeah, that's a huge presence in the middle. And now they DeAndre Jordan's back to the starting five, so literally no one's going to be playing defense. Like Durant's going to be your best defender, and James Harden's a arguably a defensive liability like this Nets team does not feel like it's going to be the next dynasty for no any amount of years no I agree and I think uh well you know I think Kyrie's a head case um I've actually regained a little bit of respect for Kevin Durant just because just think he's misunderstood sometimes the man balls he's a great great player but absolutely he's just kind of annoying um yes also yes, <laughs> uh, but it's like yeah, right? Like and so, but and I I loved James Harden, man. I was a huge Houston guy. I loved loved seeing him there, and it's just it just breaks my heart. But I mean, I you know, hopefully the city of Houston, it was the right move for them because you know, obviously this takes their team to being somewhat mundane. I say that, but I've got friends who are from Houston who are really excited for this. You know, they're really excited for. John Wall and Boogie and Oladipo because I think Oladipo is a phenomenal, phenomenal guard. Absolutely. And so it's like you know I think there's a lot of good things to be happy about. I just I don't know if uh, it's it's hard to replace a walking triple double when you know when he wanted to be and face and so, face of the franchise. Yeah. Like just marketability too. Yeah. Like how do so, you how do you market the Houston Rockets right now? Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I think it's got to be Oladipo. And I, I, I told my friend that, too. I was like, I'm going to go buy an Oladipo jersey. Like, <laughs> you know, if they're going to – that's how they're going to have to remarket it because I, th- I think he's got the stuff to be the next, like, to be a big name there. So it's like, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. And But I think that Houston Rockets made the right choice. I don't think Brooklyn wins a title. No, I, I still have, the, I still have you know, the Lakers the next five years. Every time. Yeah, I think that they'll be fine and – 
I think there'll be a problem sometimes, Brooklyn will be, when all three of their stars are healthy and, you know, if they can take a lead early, I think they'll have trouble closing games. Don't get me wrong, they will close games. It's just like, I think in some big games, uh, you're going to have some turmoil start over who should be shooting the ball and who shouldn't. And so... That's what I don't I, understand is you have very, you know, three very primary ha- ball handlers. You're, you're basically going to be asking Durant to play off ball. Or Kyrie, right. or that's why they came to Brooklyn is because they wanted to you know dominate possession. This trade doesn't feel good. Like Houston, honestly, ran away with it by getting four first round picks, and then four pick swaps as well. Houston, they got something out of it. They're not the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, they honestly got a pretty good haul for James Harden. Um, it's just going to be tough trying to draft the next James Harden now. If these picks turn out to be nothing, then you basically traded James Harden for nothing. So now it's all the pressure is going to be on, can you draft the right guy? But I do think that the fact that they got rid of someone who helped them win games, now they're now they can actually honestly tank if they wanted to, get a lottery pick out of it. Brooklyn, if they finish 500, you still get a mid-round pick. It, it looks up. I understand when you're unhappy and you force a move, but this just feels like it's been going on so long. You can't like seeing the news about that. I was glad Shaq said something though about how James Harden really didn't give his all to the city. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like he did either. I mean, I don't. There's nothing about that whole situation made me sit here and be like, "Oh yeah, James Harden gave everything he had to that city." Like, mm, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, he g- so, he gave all of to the uh, clubs there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's like the right decision was made. I think only time will tell, but I feel good about it. And, I think the Rockets should too. Yeah, it's just going to be a weird, different era now. Bigger question, though. Is this the new era of super team? Is this just going to be a repeat for building super teams now? Like, is that just going to be... Uh, I think the NBA is becoming less less dominant. Like, I don't really think, you know, because I think if you look at, like, Zion, I, yeah, that's a big name. I don't think he's, like, the next LeBron or Kevin Durant. I mean, like, he's not even the lead scorer on his team right now. Exactly. So like, I, don't, I just don't think that like recently we've seen that big of names coming into the NBA. And so like, I don't, I don't know if I think that, uh, you know, they've got the next generation. There's just a lot of average players. There's no like player that makes you just step back and really be like, wow, this guy's mm-hmm. incredible. The only know? guy I've really said that about lately is been like Brandon Ingram and Jason Tatum. I mean, that's even there. Like, you know, kinda... I don't know about you, but I still feel like sometimes when I'm watching those guys, I'm like, ah, man, like, you know, they're good, mm-hmm. but like, are, are they that good? Tough to say. I do think that this trade deadline this year will tell a lot about the future of the league. Are we just going to see big threes all over the place all, again? What we had kind of last year was excellent for the league i mean every team there wasn't one team that was just like full of top rated superstars like even the lakers i mean they they had two amazing pieces but they filled some solid role guys around them i feel like that was a great thing for the league it makes it interesting i like to point at the knicks right now because like they've got some good players julius randall uh you know recent draft picks and so it's like they've got you know uh a team, but it's not like that. Impre- it's not, you know, you don't look at that team and be like, oh man, like that's, that's horrifying. That's a scary team. But at the same time, they're playing team ball and they look good. Like, and so I think that's kind of how the NBA is heading. Like, so I don't really think the super team 
uh, phenomena starts again because, you know, Giannis just signed a huge contract with the Bucks. He's not going anywhere for a while. There's just certain stars that are so... Harden was kind of the last guy I was thinking was really about to move. And so, I don't know. I just, I feel like people are pretty set where they are. And I I don't see a whole lot of big names. The Giannis's, the LeBron's, the... I don't see a whole lot of more movements and realignings to where they end up on the same teams for the next few years. Which I think is good for the league. I agree. Makes basketball a little bit more fun to watch again. Well, Ryan, it's been a pleasure having you on again. Yeah, man. I, I absolutely love it every time. Like I said, it's it's a lot of fun just to hang out and talk about some sports. And appreciate you having me on again, Adam. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. That is all the time that we have today, guys. Hope everyone has a great week. See you later.